we come to you this morning and we ask just that you would speak to us. Here we are, we have, uh, we have ears ready to listen, eyes ready to see, hearts open to who you are and who you want us to be. And God, if that's not the case, we just ask that you would make it so now. Open us up to you. Let your, your word and your example and your spirit speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we start with this, uh, <clears throat> this question today. Why do congregations exist? Uh, that may seem like just too obvious of a question. Um, but I think it's a really important one because we don't have to do it this way, right? We could just all hang out in our homes and uh, we could all believe in Jesus and kind of call it good, I guess. We could just uh, not, or we could, uh, we could not have congregations. We could have like big rallies that we go to every once in a while where we get all the Christians together and we, we, sing, uh, we sing something to Jesus uh, with a harmonica um, as the lead. The, uh, we could do it that way. But why do, we, why do we have these little groups that we, are, uh, we have some amount of loyalty to? Groups that we, uh, we call home? Why do these things called congregations exist? Why, why do we do it this way instead of some other way? We're going to start, uh, today is the beginning of a, a, just a four-week series on, on River Street and our vision um, and our mission here, and I thought that one of the an important way to start that um, was to ask this question: Why do why do we exist? Why are we in existence? Why don't why don't we sell our building and give all the money to um, World Vision or something like that, and then we just go our separate ways and uh, and just make sure that we all keep believing in Jesus and and that be the end of it? Why don't we do that? Why do we hold on to and fight for um, this? What makes it worth doing? So that's the question before us today. I want to read Acts chapter 2 again. Um, we're going to... I, I, really I didn't intend to use this passage for today, but um, it just sort of... It was sort of serendipitous that I happened to, to see this passage and was like, wow, this is exactly what I was looking for. So <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Um, so Acts chapter 2, Peter's in the middle of this great big sermon, um, and he is it's the day of Pentecost, and he is preaching this sermon to all these Jewish uh, people who have come from all over the Roman Empire. They've come to Jerusalem, and uh, they're celebrating their, their festival and Peter stands up in front of them, and all these people speak a different language. They've all, they're all in Jerusalem um, for this festival from all over these other places. So they come with their own language and their own traditions and their own kind of perspectives on the world. And Peter gets up and he preaches this sermon. And when he preaches the sermon, everybody can hear him in their own language. And he preaches the sermon. He starts with uh, Jewish history, and he tells them all about David and um, and all of the the things that God had led the people of Israel through, all for the point of proclaiming Jesus as Lord and as the fulfillment of what God's promise was to the people of Israel. And this is kind of where that that kind of starts to wrap up. Now, when they heard this Peter's sermon. 
They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far, who are far away, everyone whom our Lord uh, calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted uh, and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 per persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Just the prayers. Oh, that's kind of funny. Um, what prayers? Uh, anyway, uh, awe came upon uh, everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So in essence, you've got the first congregation, right? In this first little chapter, you've got this first congregation of people because they, they don't disperse. There's this core of them that stay in Jerusalem and they worship together and they do all these things together and they meet in a certain place. They meet in the temple and they're uh, they're living day by day together. They have they're forming the very first Christian congregation, the first church. And uh, why did they do that? What was the point? For an answer, I want you to uh, look at a picture that's hanging in my uh, office, because <laughs> that's a real logical way to go, right? You saw that coming. Uh, <clears throat> how many of you have an office of some kind? One, come on, two, three, some kind. Oh, they they have offices up there. Yeah. How many of you have? How many of you have uh, a place where you work, wherever it is that you do your work, and it doesn't have any pictures in it? One person, two people, three people. Okay. Uh, of the people who do have pictures, I bet most of the pictures you have are of loved ones, right? You got a picture of I. These, see, my I have several pictures. I got pictures of my boys, pictures of my uh, parents, and pictures of Abby and I, and, and this picture of Ab Abby up in Yosemite at the bottom. I've wondered what what's the point of having the pictures around? Why do we do that? Apparently, some people don't. Um, heartless, no. Um, the uh, I I was the reason I do that is because they're not there. These are really important people in my life, and I miss them. I miss my wife, even though we're two blocks away, and uh, I go home for lunch. But she's not in that space with me, and so I like having the picture to remind me of her. My parents are twenty five hundred miles away. I love having that picture to remember. Uh, them. Let's kind of carry that image of them with me. Um, you know, it, we people don't do this as much as they used to, but I remember my grandfather, uh, his wallet was like that thick, you know, he, uh, he sat like this when he sat down. Um, and uh, it was full of pictures, right? 
His wallet was absolutely full of pictures. Pictures of he carried a picture of himself um, in his during World War II uh, with his motorcycle because he was a courier on the uh, in Australia. He had this picture of him doing that. He had his wedding picture. He had pictures of him and uh, and my grandmother doing different things throughout life. He had pictures of all of his daughters and then pictures of all of his grandkids. Multiple pictures of his grandkids. It was like he opened it up and the little thing you know just would fall out of there. And the funny thing about the wallet is that it, like, it's not like something you see all the time, right? I was like, you stick it in there. Or now, of course, we have our little devices that have our pictures on it. Our uh, iPhone has, um, who knows, hundreds and hundreds of pictures. One of Elliot's favorite things to do is take pictures. So I'll pick my phone up and look through the pictures, and I'll have a wide menagerie of uh, interesting pictures. And... Uh, but there are these, these pictures that we, we use to remind us of the presence of those we love or the absence of those who love, remembering them, carrying them around, um, thinking about them. And sometimes uh, we have these special bonds that go much further than just having a picture. There are people in life who we, they pass away and we desire, we desire to see their legacy continue right so we don't just want to remember their presence with pictures around us but we they have done something in our life that we want to um not just memorialize but some work that we would like to see continue you know millie uh stuper was a wonderful saint of this congregation who passed away last summer and uh and she did things with her life right that that inspired us there was this, and there's uh, the shower. Have, we haven't put all the plans together, but we're we're going to uh, dedicate that shower in her honor, because giving free showers to people in our community seemed like something that matched her legacy. You know that it was consistent with who she was. It was something that she would want us to do, and so every once in a while you have this kind of special bond with somebody where you want. What they've done, the work that they've accomplished, you want it to continue. You want it to be preserved. You want it to live on past them. Um, I, I, I have a friend who was just asked to be the executor of someone's will, right? And uh, it's kind of a, they, these two people have kind of a funny relationship. And uh, the, uh, the friend who's younger, um, the, the person who uh, has the will, said, uh, sent, sent my friend this um, really long list of all the things that need to be done after the, the other one passes away, right? And it was like, it's super detailed. This is the way every little thing uh, has to go. Um, so these, these legacy things are not always out of like um, adoration. Sometimes it's like we were told to do this, so we better do it, you know? Um, you've been to, been to memorials or funerals where uh, there were really the person who passed away is really particular, and so everybody's kind of like, we remember what it was like to cross them when they were alive. So let's just let their let's just let everything be exactly the way they wanted it to be. So there, anyway, the point being, there are these moments and these relationships where there can be this desire to see a legacy uh, passed along, which made me think about um, John Wesley and William Wilberforce. Uh, John Wesley's one of my, my big heroes. He, uh, started what was called the Methodist movement back in the day. And, 
Um, but his, his big contribution to the church was uh, to ask people to put their faith and trust in Jesus and to then live a different kind of life as a result of that faith. A lot of people in those days, uh, they got the idea of putting their faith in Jesus, but then the idea of actually living a different kind of life afterward um, was pretty pretty foreign, honestly. A lot of people would just believe and, and trust that that was the end of it. And Wesley, tirelessly, he rode thousands and thousands of miles on horseback um, all across England um, to, uh, to convince people that Jesus wanted them to live a different kind of life. In fact, that the, the Spirit was going to empower them to live a different kind of life if they would just trust him. So Wesley did that, and he did all sorts of other things, and he did a lot of work for social uh, change in, in England. He, uh, he's one of his most famous things that he did was during the, the um, French and Indian War over here in the United States when the, um, the Native Americans and the French had this alliance to fight Britain and they were fighting over the kind of northern, northeast corner of what's today the United States. Uh, there were all these French prisoners of war that ended up in England. And Wesley... Uh, couldn't stand for the idea that French prisoners would uh, not be given basic human rights. And so John Wesley had uh, all of his Methodists throughout the, uh, uh, throughout the island um, collect blankets and barrels of clean water and uh, socks and all this sort of stuff. And John Wesley showed up at this biggest prisoner of war camp. Um, and this is, you know, 1760s, I think, 50s, something like that. And, uh, and they would have refused anybody else giving such a gift to French prisoners of war. But John Wesley was a superstar. And he was the best, the best-selling author of that century. And so they opened the doors and they gave the blankets and the water and the socks to the prisoners of war. So anyway, and Wesley thought that that was inspired by his Christian faith. Anyway, Wesley's about to die. It's the year 1791. He's on his deathbed, and he writes one last letter eight days before he dies. Uh, and he writes it to a guy who uh, is an admirer of his, not someone he knows very well, though. And the name of the guy is William Wilberforce. And the letter uh, is about slavery. And Wesley says, I regret that I did not go after slavery enough in my life. I wrote about it, but I didn't, I didn't do enough. But you, William Wilberforce, can. You can do it. If you have this resolve that only the Spirit of God can give you, you can do it. And, uh, and so he writes this letter, very short, and it's almost illegible because he is, he's, uh, he's very close to dying. And eight days later, he passes away. And Wilberforce is really inspired by that. And so this is 1791, and he's a member of Parliament. And he, uh, Wilberforce believes that the legacy of Wesley, uh, he believes in that legacy, wants to carry that legacy forward, and he believes that this work is important. And he believes that, uh, that um, let's see, Wesley called, uh, where's it at? The vilest evil that ever saw, uh, that anyone ever saw under the sun. Um so they believe they have the shared value that the that slavery is this thing worth fighting. So William Wilberforce submits a bill before Parliament every year until it passes, 
every single year, 1791, 1792, 1793, and it's defeated over and over and over and over again until the year 1807. 18 years carrying the, not just the legacy of John Wesley, but this burden until finally in 1807, actually, uh, the United Kingdom abolishes slavery throughout its empire. There is this idea, I think, we understand the idea of legacy. We understand the idea of kind of inheriting a work from someone. I think that congregations represent the body slash work of Christ in their location, except it's not a singular thing. It's not just fighting slavery. It's a, the eternal work of Christ. It is the ministry of Christ. The reason that there are congregations is because we are designed in these small groups to carry forward as if Christ were still alive, as if he were still walking the earth, because he is alive in us. And so we inherit this legacy century after century, millennium after millennium of the work of Christ endowed to us in our congregations to put it into action in our little slice of the world, in our location. So that when the church moves on from Jerusalem, it moves on the very first, ne the next place is Philip plants a, a church in a location. That location is Samaria, right? And so Philip doesn't say to all the Samaritans, okay, now come back to me, back with me to Jerusalem, and let's keep doing the good work that we're doing in Jerusalem. He leaves the Samaritans in Samaria, and then they move on, uh, and they, they get as far, far flung as the island of Cyprus. And they don't, they don't call the, the Cyprus people, whatever that is, Cyprians? That can't be right. Um, and uh, he, they leave them there to do it, to do the work there. So that each little pocket, each little congregation is intended to be the continuation of Christ's work. I think that's why Paul calls us the body of Christ. We are the presence of Christ. The spirit alive in us is the presence of Christ here in this spot. The spirit desires to put Christ back together in us, to do his work through us in this spot, in this location. Just as an, an example, I won't go through all of these, but uh, so on the left, you've got what they did in Acts, all the stuff that the people in Acts chapter 2 did in those couple of verses, all the things. So they, they proclaimed, Peter is proclaiming the good news. Uh, then they, they devote themselves to the teachings of the apostles. They fellowship with one another. They break bread with one another. They pray together. Uh, there are wonders and signs that happen um, in their midst. They they get rid of. Uh, they have a common purse so that they're all all taking are all giving up their individual resources so that they can care for one another, and they care for those in need. And then of course they worship. Um, they worship while they're there too. So they do all these things. And the thing that I found really interesting. The thing that I found really interesting about that is that you can find all of that alive and well in the work of Jesus during his life. Right? In fact, I just went through the book of Mark. I found all but one of them 
because the only mention of a common purse is in the book of John. So I had to go there. <laughs> but they uh, just in the book of Mark, just kind of breezing through, I could easily find Jesus doing all these things. So that what what the people in Acts are doing is they're they are acting like Jesus never died. <laughs> I mean, not in a theological sense, but in a, in a ministry sense, right? We are going to live like Jesus is king here, and we are going to do his work here. We are going to do all the things that he did. We are going to continue this eternal legacy of the kingdom that we've been given. That is our purpose. That is the reason that we exist as a congregation. That is the reason that congregations exist, is to continue to do the work of Christ. I was thinking uh, about um, the stakes are just so high. You've, you've heard me say this before. I mean, our world is nutty. It is just so dark. And it, the, the temptation to be distracted from this work is just all over, everywhere. Um, we are, I was thinking about the, this image of the, um, uh, earth from space at night, right? And I was thinking about how these uh, <clears throat> these images are not necessarily indicative of population. You know, we think about them as like big population centers having lots of uh, lots of light, but that's not always true. Um, for instance, the United States is lit up, so is Europe. But uh, you put Europe and the United States together, you still don't get as much people as you would have in China, and China is not as lit up. Then you've got uh, swaths of areas in Africa where they don't have access to electricity, and so there's this there's this darkness um, in in our in our world, literal darkness, and there are places where where light is concentrated, and you can see it from space. Um, in fact, you can see it out over the horizon. If you ever like drive from town to town at night, and you can kind of look over, you can see like the dome of light from different different cities. I was thinking about that's that's the point of this work, right? We were compared to the idea of, of light, that Jesus is light piercing the darkness, that we we have been given this inheritance, this legacy of Jesus of doing his work, doing things like uh, caring for those in need, fellowshipping, caring for one another's needs. We've been given this work, and when we do that, we are like light in this world. And when we are distracted, it's kind of like there are people there, but the lights aren't on, right? When we get distracted by this or that, um, when we decide that we're, we're going to go along with um, the, the thing that I just keep thinking about is that's so prevalent is the whole idea that our soul existence is to grow, right? I mean, I know you all and you don't make me feel that pressure, which I appreciate a lot. But there, that pressure is just everywhere. When I go, like when I, I go to a pastor's conference, the only thing we talk about is how to grow our churches. Anyway, um, and not, not that I don't want to grow. That'd be great. It'd be really fun. But uh, 
there, Jesus, in the book of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven different churches, right? And these seven letters criticize each church. And it's there, uh, John says that these letters are written by the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. In other words, it's Jesus who's writing these letters. And these letters criticize each of the churches. There is some criticism for each of the churches. And each letter uh, contains this line. You stupid church, why didn't you grow bigger? Right? Or how about, no, it, uh, it does this. It, that's not true. This line's in there. Uh, you stupid church, why didn't you elect this person as a, a local official? Or a, uh, um, why didn't you uh, win back the House of Representatives? Or, or, no, that's not in there, right? There's a lot about distraction in those seven letters. There's a lot about being distracted from uh, the things that need to be conquered or overcome. The NIV, I think, translates it overcome. Let, let anybody who has ears listen and let them overcome these things, it often says in these seven letters. But all the things that they're criticized for are things that draw us away from the ministry of Christ, from doing his work and his life here amongst us, from letting his spirit take over and do it in us. There's uh, one of the things that they get accused of um, is Nicolaitanism. I'm totally shooting from the hip or whatever. So if I'm wrong, I am so sorry. But I'm pretty sure Nicolaitanism has to do with like believing that you, you can just do whatever you want. Like liberty, it's like a liberty kind of thing. Like, so you don't have to follow like the Sermon on the Mount sort of stuff. And so a lot of them are con convicted of uh, or uh, condemned or criticized for believing in this thing called Nicolaitanism. And the idea of that is that these churches kind of decided to say, you can do whatever you want. Don't worry about loving your neighbor or loving God. Just believe and live your life however you well please. There's all these distractions from being the body of Christ together. We exist for this purpose. To be Jesus in this spot. That doesn't depend on how many people are in the pews. That does not depend on how well Tim does or how well I do. That depends upon our hearts being offered to God and our hands and our feet and our blood, sweat, and tears. To say, God, we're in this here for you to be your body here, to encourage one another, to love one another, to love our neighborhood, to be a part of your activity in this world. That is why we exist. This spot, this time, these people, the body of Christ, the work of Christ, alive, continuing in us. Um, and so we have these, uh, this question again, why do congregations exist? The answer that Tri River Street has given to that, I don't know, some, probably those of you in the back won't be able to see it very well, but is that we are growing into Christ-likeness for one another and our neighborhood. That's really very simply just a summary of what they did in Acts chapter 2. Right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
They wanted to be more like Jesus. They devoted themselves to learning to be more like Christ. For one another, fellowship, breaking of bread, meeting the needs of those who, who have needs. So we, we, when we become more like Christ, we take care of one another better. And then for their neighborhood in Jerusalem, they had the goodwill of all the people and they met the needs, not just of those in their congregation, but of those in the city as well. So too for us. So too for us. We exist to do this. This is our aim. So the next three weeks, we're going to unpack. Um, grow. The first part will be growing into Christ-likeness, and the next part will be for one another, and the next part will be for our neighborhood. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, be alive here. You were resurrected. I, I, I don't think you were just resurrected so that you could walk around again. I think you beat death so that you could be alive in us. We want that. We want that here in this space. We want that here in our fellowship. We want that here on Wednesday nights. We want that here in all of our activities together. We want that here. Your aliveness, your spirit flowing and moving, unfettered between us and through us and for us and on behalf of one another, on behalf of our neighborhood. God, cut out any distractions from that. Empower us to zero in on what you would have us do, on what it looks like to have your ministry and your life and your lifestyle and your teachings flourish here at River Street. Give us no excuse for doing anything otherwise. We love you, we adore you, and we do want to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.